deal. Okay. Well, once again, it's a joy to see you. We'll start from the very beginning, right? Because no one caught any of that. It's great to see all of you, and uh, we've been looking forward to this, looking forward to catching up with, with you, um, with you and your families, and, and uh, hearing how God is, is working here. Excited to hear about the wedding yesterday, and, um, and what God is doing here in your church. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. I guess pastor prayed, but we'll go to the Lord in prayer this morning before we jump into the Word, into the word of God. All right. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you that we can gather here around truth that we can trust. Lord, you've entrusted us with the word of God. Right here in our country, in our language, what a joy and a privilege that is. Lord, I pray you'd help us today. Lord, we have busy lives, busy minds, but I pray you'd help us to still our minds and look to you, learn something from you, become closer to you, and learn to love you more for who you are. So I pray you'd bless this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the plan today is this. We'll uh, look at a really powerful passage here uh, in Sunday school this morning, and then Pastor Stephen has invited me to preach the morning service, so I'm looking forward to that. And then in the afternoon service, we'll do a Uganda update, so I'm really excited about that. That'll be fun. Um, we did something sort of unique where we don't have like a complete missions video, flashy update or anything. This is just a short trip that we're here in the U.S. for right now. So what we did is we sat down and we made a list of people, just relationships in Uganda that we've been able to build in the last two years. And it's a list of like 20-some um, people, not a long list. And then we put pictures together, made a slideshow. So we're just going to talk through this list of people, give you guys the list of people. And I know for a fact, based on emails and correspondence with many of you, I know that for a fact that many of you pray for these people already. So I hope that'll be helpful in becoming more specific in, in praying for these people. So people all over the spectrum as far as some that are already saved, some that have trusted Christ, some that um, are, are big prayer requests in terms of salvation that have not trusted Christ yet. So uh, that'll be a joy. For right now, let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 will pretty much spend our Sunday school time, our family school hour here in John chapter 6. The Lord has opened some really powerful doors. I'm going to time my shoe here. The Lord has opened some really powerful doors in Uganda with some Muslim leaders in our village. So we live in a village called the village of Ewata. Um, it's a village of like 2,000 people, uh, 15 to 20 minutes from the local town in our region, okay? About half of our village is Muslim and half is Catholic, so it's split in that way, uh, Christian and, and, and Muslim. And uh, we've had the privilege of building relationships with both uh, groups. The leader of the local mosque in our village is named Ahmed, Ahmed Musa. And he is like a textbook person of peace, someone who you want to know if you live in that village type of thing. I met him on the street, got to know him, and we've had many, many Bible studies together. And John chapter 6 has become uh, incredibly precious to me because of my relationship with Ahmed. He's someone that's still not saved, someone that we'll talk about more this afternoon and show some pictures and things. But um, John chapter 6 is the answer for mankind. It's not the only passage of the Bible that exalts the deity of Christ, but boy, does it ever exalt the deity of Christ. So let's look at this together this morning and... Um, and Ask the Lord to open our eyes to it. So John chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 1. So John chapter 6, verse 1. And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. 
and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. So here we are, Jesus traveling. He's in the early part of his ministry, right? And his popularity, the way the public was perceiving him, was starting to change and really grow, such that this multitude of people, a big crowd of people, 5,000 men and their families and probably more, started following him. They had heard about, why were they following him? Well, they heard about miracles that he had done. So just in the previous chapter, what happened? He healed this, um, this impotent man that had been sick for 38 years. Jesus healed him. It was a miracle that drew attention, and there was this multitude, big crowd of people, now following Jesus. Okay, so this multitude followed him because they saw his miracles. Verse 3, And Jesus went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the, Pas- and the, and the Passover, uh, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one um, of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, "Uh, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there is much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. So here we come across one of Jesus' most awesome miracles. Super familiar story, right? The time when Jesus fed 5,000 people. He'd not done this miracle before. These people had never heard such a story like we all have. Uh, But he had this large multitude of people following him because they are interested in the miracles he had done. So this is something that still happens today, not with Jesus, but with false prophets, especially in Africa. Not so much in America, somewhat in America. But what happens is men will falsify miracles, draw a lot of attention to themselves, and thereby draw large, large crowds. It happens in Uganda where 10 to 20,000 people will gather and watch some guy perform miracles falsely. He's a false prophet. It's no surprise that when Jesus was walking on earth, when people didn't really know who he was, he was drawing a crowd. So as this crowd gathered, Jesus goes to his his disciples and says, what are we going to do, you know, for all these people? The disciples didn't really know, except the one disciple comes and says, we have this lad here that has a little bit of food, one lunch worth of food. And this is when Jesus begins to perform this miracle. Let's read it. I know it's super familiar, but it's the context of what we're looking at here this morning. Verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves. John chapter 6, verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that sat down. And likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of um, with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that he'd eaten. So the miracle had been performed. Let's look at and kind of follow in our minds what's happening with this big multitude of people, because the Gospel of John really tells us what's going on in their hearts. Verse 14, Then those men 
when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. Okay, so these people are who? They're Jews. They're a big group of Jews. We'll find out later that they're really undecided on who this Jesus is. They certainly did not see him as the Messiah. They were following him because he had performed big miracles. This was interesting. They were super curious. After the miracle had been performed, the Bible tells us they looked at Jesus and they thought, yeah, this is that prophet, that prophet that we've been expecting. So prophet's coming was something their forefathers had seen many times. Every time a prophet came, it was news, right? Uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, like, like, like unto me, unto him, ye shall hearken. They were trained to listen to prophets. They were trained to watch for prophets. And here as this Jesus performed a miracle, they realized, this is someone special. It's not just another, another Joe, okay? This is someone special. And they realized, um, and in their minds, their conclusion was, this is a prophet, okay? So after this, Jesus realized he had to get away. He realized, you know what? I can't just stay put where I'm at. I need to... Um, I need to get away because these people are going to, like, throng on me like a, like a crowd wanting to take me somewhere. Okay, so he goes away and then performs another famous miracle where he walks on water. We're not going to look at that today, but that's what happens next. What we're going to look at today is continuing to, to track this multitude of people, okay, this multitude of people that didn't know who Jesus was. So skip down in this chapter to verse 24. Okay, verse 24. After Jesus walked on water, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee. He went uh, to the other side to, to um, Capernaum, walked on water. And then verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping, they got in ships, okay, and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. So they realized the disciples were gone. They realized the boats the disciples used had been taken. They realized Jesus must have gone that way, and they're, they're looking for him, right? And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, here's Jesus speaking. Listen to this. This is, this is something. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. So this is interesting. Initially, in the beginning of the chapter, why was the crowd following Jesus? Because he had done some really amazing miracles. They wanted to see more or see something, something special. They did see something special. They saw him feed the 5,000 with five barley loaves and two fishes. Now, they followed him all the way to the other side of the sea, and Jesus kind of calls him out and says, look, you're not following me because of miracles anymore. You're following me so you can get another meal, right? That's it. That's the extent of your motive in this situation. We were in this one village. <laughs> it was kind of funny. We were in this village together, and um, we were talking about this. Uh, yeah. We, yeah, we were talking about this very story. And I said, look, if, um, if someone came here, you know, so if Jesus came over here and, and had the same type of food to give to you, 
and, and then the next, the next day you heard Jesus was still around, would you go and get another meal, you think? And they were like, no, no, we wouldn't do that. I was like, come on, you would. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, we probably would. You know. <laughs> so this crowd came to Jesus again uh, th th this following day, right? And Jesus says, you came uh, strictly because of, because of um, getting more food. Now, it's interesting to think about something. Jesus Christ knew their hearts. You know, he was a really special preacher in that way. Can you imagine being a preacher and you look out and just see everyone's hearts, right? I mean, only Jesus had that ability. He knew their motive when they were eating the bread. And then now uh, they come to him again, and he, and he calls them out on this. Um, I say that to say he chose to do the miracle in spite of what was in their hearts. So that's a thought. And in verse 27... Jesus begins to preach to them. He first calls them out and says, look, you came here not because of miracles, but because of food. Verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. These are big words Jesus is speaking. Up until this time in Jesus' ministry, he had been, uh, you know, really low-key. Nicodemus came to him at night. Um, there was a Samaritan woman in the chapter before that, where Jesus spoke about the living water to her just personally. But Jesus had been mostly, mostly low-key about who he was. Um, in the last chapter, he performed these miracles that caused the crowd to form. But Jesus is now shooting much more, much more straight, if you can put it like that, right? And he says, uh, you need to labor for the meat that does not perish. Now, these are people that don't believe in the deity of Christ yet. These are people that consider this man, Jesus, to be a prophet. And their response is not surprising. Verse 28, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Okay, so God, God the Father, is someone these Jews did believe in. They believed in God the Father, right? They were confused about the Messiah, confused about who Jesus was, uh, who, who this man was in front of them. But Jesus says, the one whom my Father, or the one whom the, the Father sends, you need to believe in him. Okay, now, again, they're thinking he's a prophet, so track with me here. This does make sense. Their response here in verse 30, verse 30, they said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? That's an ironic question. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. If you're really something special, show us a sign. No, now he just multiplied food. Right before that, he'd perform miracles to heal people. But he says, Show, show us a sign. Obviously, these people were takers, right? They wanted something else. And then the next verse is really insightful. Verse 31, they said, look, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Who? Moses. So they're looking at this man thinking, this is a prophet. Moses, way back when, we've heard about him. Our fathers talked about him. Moses brought manna down from heaven, and our people ate every day, you know? So now they're looking at this prophet, 
in their mind, this prophet Jesus, okay, they ate once, and they're thinking, hey, Moses did that. You can do something for us, right? And Jesus' response is, is uh, even more direct and more powerful, okay? Get this. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say to you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. He says, wrong. <laughs> Moses did not give you that bread from heaven. But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. The genuine bread that you need today is from, is from my Father. Okay. For, verse 33, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth light life unto the world. Then said they unto him, verse 34, Lord, even more, give us this bread. They were interested at this point. They said, yeah, this sounds good, this, this uh, living something. Uh, we'll go with that. The last, in the previous chapter, when Jesus was talking about the living water, the Samaritan woman said the exact same thing. She said, yeah, give us this living water. Give me this living water. That sounds like something I should have. And Jesus said unto them, he kind of drops the hammer here, if you can put it that way, okay? Jesus says to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Any ambiguity left in this conversation was ended right there. This bread of life, you're looking for something living, you're looking for something real, it's me, that's what Jesus says. What a definitive, just exclusive statement. Bread of life, it's me. I am the bread of life. That's exclusive. No one else is. It's only me. There's not another Messiah coming. I'm the bread of life. Now, uh, I'm a church kid, okay? I'm someone who grew up in church. I may have heard this story when I was, I don't know, really little, right? <clears throat> we just sing all these really good songs about Jesus uh, and who he is and how he is the answer for us. But what's good to remind ourselves of is this. Uh, most of the world today refuses to believe those simple words that Jesus spoke there. So there's 7.9 billion people on earth. 1.9 billion of them, so 25%, are Muslims today. Fastest growing religion in the world has absolutely exploded. One out of every four people on the planet is a Muslim. And if you tell a Muslim that Jesus Christ is God, he is the answer, he's the bread of life, then they absolutely have to refuse that because it completely contradicts their system of religion. 1.2 billion Hindus um, subscribe to a really similar thinking about Jesus where they have to say, yeah, good man, good teacher, not God. That's a lot of people. It's a majority of the world that in order to support their religious system have no choice but to reject the words of Jesus uh, in this chapter. They represent that very multitude of people, 5,000 people that said, yeah, good, prophet. Show us some miracles, prophet. And today, most of our world is just like that multitude. They'll take whatever they can get from a Jesus connection, but when it comes to realizing who Jesus claims to be, have no choice but to reject him, again, to support their, their religious system. That's a sobering thing. 
that's a serious thing to think about. Um, and is cause for us to, number one, be so thankful for Jesus our Savior, the one that we know, the one that we've been taught of from a young age. And number two, we're going to be really serious about proclaiming who this Jesus is. The biggest question of all time, I think that's a fair thing to say, is who is this Jesus? Who is this man? <clears throat> I, uh, this Ahmed uh, that I mentioned initially, I can't, to me, in my mind, I always think of him with this, with this passage. There was a time just um, a few months ago, sometime this year, <clears throat> where I was at his house, and we'll show pictures of him later this afternoon, so maybe visualize that a little bit, I guess. Ahmed is an incredibly faithful, and uh, he's, he's, the, he's vocationally advances Islam in Uganda. So that's what he does for a living. He's the leader of the mosque. He takes reports to the Mecca of Islam in Uganda as to how his mosque is doing, keeping track of attendance and giving and all those things, and finding ways to convert Catholics to, to Islam. Anyway, he's very dedicated. I was sitting with him once, and I was sitting like here, and he was sitting, whatever, we were just right next to each other. And we were talking about something in the Bible at the time. And some alarm goes off in his phone, and he says, oh, hold on just a second. And he runs in his house, grabs his prayer mat, puts his prayer mat down, and turns to, toward, toward Mecca, toward the, uh, I guess it's like from Uganda, it's north, whatever. Turns, points to the, the right direction, and I was like one foot from him as he's letting, sitting on the mat. And I was like, hey, you need me to go or something? And he's like, no, it's fine, you can stay there. And he starts to pray, you know, you probably, I'm sure you've seen this, where, where they will repeatedly hit their head on the ground. And um, Musa is very, very dark, okay, like his skin. But he has this purple and blue bruise right here on his black forehead from hitting his head on the ground. It's like a pride thing, like a commitment thing. You know, five times a day, they'll hit their head on the ground. It must hurt, right? So five times a day, they do that. And um, he, he sat back up, and I was sitting there watching him like, this guy's committed, really committed to what he believes. And he sat back up, and I said, Ahmed, you're faithful. You're really faithful to what you believe. I respect that. I respect your faithfulness. And I said, I've got to ask, I've got to ask you, you know, you're so faithful in this and consistent. If you, um, if you die today, you know, if the such-and-so guerrilla group comes down the road and shoots us, um, what's happening to you? Where are you going to go? And he's sitting there, you know, on his mat, kind of like an Indian style with his bruise on his forehead, and he says, I don't know. I have no idea. I thought, what is that? That's bondage. Five times a day, he's hitting his head on the ground, you know? And he has no idea where he's going to spend eternity. We have incredible freedom with Jesus Christ. We're really fortunate people. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. There's hungry people in this world. Suffering. But I said unto you, but I said unto you, Jesus speaking to this crowd of people, that are like these Muslims, are like these Hindus, are like these animistic groups, whatever, that just 
really do not, uh, uh, do not account for Jesus as being the propitiation for their sins, right? Do not see him as God. He's speaking to these very people. But I said unto you that, that, um, that ye also have, I'm sorry, verse 30, verse, uh, lost track of where I was. Verse 36, but I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. He kind of rebukes them again here. Verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Verse 38, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Verse 40, John chapter 6, verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at that last day. Power. Two things, verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. So see the Son. Know that he died. It's a historical fact. Know that he hung on the cross and accomplished the very thing that he came to accomplish. See him. And number two, believe. Like, believe he is who he said he is. And you will have everlasting life. And then this simple promise, I will raise him up at the last day. Not a lot of ambiguity there. So what a declaration of who Jesus Christ is and what he came for. So now you have this crowd of people. Right? They believe that they're looking at a prophet who just gave them a free meal yesterday, and Jesus says, I'm the bread of life you believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. And their response, again, is really not surprising. Okay, so verse 41, the Jews then murmured. Okay, so they just kind of grumbled about this. The Jews then, Jews then murmured because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. That would be an inappropriate thing for a prophet to say. So either Jesus is like an absolute liar, or he, he is exactly what he says he is. There's no like in between with that. We know that Jesus is who he says he is. Okay, so the Jews murmured about this. And in verse 42, and they said, they said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whom, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I come down from heaven? So these Jews are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We know your parents, right? Like, it's like you can't just claim, make this claim. We know the family you come from. You come from that guy Joseph. He's just kind of, you know, just another Joe. Use that line again. Wow. <laughs> He's just another guy. And, uh, and Mary, we know who Mary is. Okay, we know, we know Nazareth. Nazareth. Nazareth is nothing special. Um, okay, so how then can you say you have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, so he's going to respond to this uh, attack, right? He's answered, keep following with me. This really just gets better and more powerful, all right? So verse 43, he said, murmur not amongst yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. 
So verily, verily, get this, verse 47, get this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on, believeth on me hath everlasting life. Then here we go, verse 48, John chapter 6, verse 48. I am that bread of life. Makes the same statement again. That's pretty bold, okay? So these Jews attack him and say, whoa, you can't make this claim. You're just the son of Joseph and Mary, right? You can't say you came down from heaven. And Jesus comes back by saying the exact same thing again. I am that bread of life. Verse 49, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. If you want to make the comparison between this prophet who I am today and Moses, then uh, look at the results. They ate manna, they're dead. This bread that I give you is different. They ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. Verse 50, this is that bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, verse 51 says it all. He says, the bread that I will give is what? It's my flesh. So up until now, you know, in all of this context, Jesus had not been talking about his death. He'd not been talking about that. If these Jews hadn't really known their Old Testament, you know, scripture, then they would have known that Jesus was going to come as a lamb and, and be a sacrifice. But he'd not been talking about that here in this passage. But now he says, he kind of, he's, he's, building on, he's building on who he is as the bread of life and says, the, the, uh, the, this bread is very specifically my flesh that I will give. Now, the Jews struggled with this big time, okay? This is getting more and more hard for the Jews to take. Verse 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they were striving, obviously because Jesus was claiming deity, right, and said, again, I'm the bread of life. And then Jesus said, the bread of life is my flesh. But I think the Jews were probably also struggling with the fact that, like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, th th this is strange, okay? It just got weird on me. Like, giving us your flesh, what is that? And Jesus now, in his kind of third paragraph, third and last paragraph, so keep following this with me, uh, explains what he's talking about, his flesh. Verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh, of the Son of Man, and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. And the living Father hath, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he, shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now let's look at the response real quick and then we'll talk about this. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Okay. So Jesus in response to the Jews' criticism about him speaking of his flesh, as the Jews said, 
you know, what are you talking about giving us your flesh? Jesus responded and said, if you don't eat my flesh, if you don't drink my blood, then you will not have eternal life. And in verse 50, 50 uh, I'm sorry, 57, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Jesus says, look, I'm here living by the life of my Father. And in that same way, I want you to now live by the life of me, to partake of my life, and in that same way, live by the life line of, of, of myself, is what Jesus Christ is saying. Now, this was tough for the Jews to take, probably for two reasons. Number one, because they didn't believe Jesus was God. They didn't really have any faith in his deity. And we're going to see that in just a minute, that they really couldn't, at this point in time, did not accept it. And then the other reason is that this uh, sort of analogy of drinking blood and eating flesh was over their heads. They were not getting it. And it, if anyone that, anyone that does not understand that may be grossed out or something, you know, like, what are we talking about? Because Jesus was speaking about spiritual things. But realize what Jesus is saying. There's nothing, the reality is there's nothing gross about it, okay? There's nothing strange about it. Jesus is saying, look, I am going to give my life so that you can eat like bread, like you just ate yesterday on the hill where I fed all of you. I'm going to give my life so you can eat of this flesh and drink of this blood. And when you partake of my life, when you eat, eat, right, as if it's, you know, understanding that it has to be edible in order to eat, it has to be possible and, and available to partake of, then you can live by means of my life. The Jews heard that, and they're like, this is a tough saying. You know, this was outside of their uh, Jewish religion to understand this. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can really hear this? Who can take this? In verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? You're taking offense to this. What and if ye shall, <clears throat> what and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. It's the Spirit that gives life, right? Verse 63, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He says, look, this is, I'm talking spiritually, and this is your opportunity for life, to partake of me as, as the bread of life. Now I'm going to finish reading this, and then we'll, then we'll say a couple things and be finished here. Verse 64, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believeth not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, and he said, therefore, said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples, look, listen to this, this is what happens. This is the conclusion of what happens in this entire situation, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. So verse 40, 
When Jesus first started talking to these, these Jews about who he was, he said, if you see the Son of Man and you believe on him, you will have eternal life and you will be raised up on that last day. And then as Jesus is talking about the flesh, he says something very, very similar where he says in verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, he hath eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. It's the same thing. To partake of the flesh of Christ and drink of his blood is the same thing as seeing him and putting your faith in him. And when these Jews realized what it really meant to follow Jesus, it was a, it was a, um, a what? A, it was a turning point, right? It was a pivotal time in the life of these Jews. Jesus was no more an interesting miracle performer. He was no more someone who could just multiply food and feed everyone. He was now more than that. And these people realized that. They realized that in order to follow Jesus meant to see him as the bread of life, to believe on him, to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. And here we see the first big fall away in the ministry of Jesus. So it shows us that people falling away is not necessarily a sign of something being done wrong. Jesus had the perfect ministry, and he's had people fall away when they realized that Jesus was truly God. He was truly someone they had to put their faith, put their faith in. And it says, many of them went back and walked no more with him. I think in some way, in our own culture, in our own church culture, like, you know, as a, as a culture, as our country or whatever, we see this, right, where there will be many young people that grow up and, and follow Christ in some way, go to church, right, and, and know who Jesus is, maybe want to access any benefits there are to knowing Jesus, to being a follower of Jesus. But then when push comes to shove, when you get to a pivotal point where you have to really decide, do I love him? Am I partaking of Jesus as, as, as the bread of life, right? Am I living my life by means of Jesus Christ? Then we realize that there's a lot that aren't. And, you know, we could talk about, like, statistics of young people that grow up and, and leave the church, and it's really, really sad. And I think we probably can all think of people like that, that we maybe grew up with or something that, that left God altogether. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of disciples are we? <clears throat> Most of them left. Most of them realized what it meant to, 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 um, to live by Jesus Christ, and, and they were just like, no, this is a hard saying. Who can really hear this? They walked no more with Jesus. But then there were the 12. The 12 were real disciples, right? People who uh, followed Jesus uh, because, because they loved him. And in there in verse 67, Jesus turned unto the twelve, after many others had already left. This was in a synagogue. Picture this with me. Try to picture this. They're, they're in the synagogue in Capernaum, is what, is what it told us um, in, in verse uh, 59. They said they're in the synagogue, so for some reason they congregated all these people in the, in the building, right? And they started to leave. I don't know exactly, we don't know exactly what that looked like, but in some way, people started to leave. It must have been like, hordes of people just walking out the back door or something, you know, in the course of some period of time. And uh, that may have been kind of awkward. <laughs> you know, Jesus standing there speaking, 
and people start just walking out, and everyone's looking around like, who's going to stay? Who's going who's gonna to go? And in the context of that, Jesus turns to the 12 disciples and says, will you also go away? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter would be the one to make that statement, right? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? You know, you just told us who you are. You're the bread of life. If we see you, if we believe on you, then we have everlasting life. If we drink of your blood and eat of your flesh, then we have everlasting life. We can live by means of you just like you live by means of the Father. Where are we going to go? They saw Jesus. They saw him for who he truly is. And uh, I hope that's a challenge to you. It's easy to take Jesus Christ for granted. The question, who is this Jesus, is a big question. And I suppose we'll spend our entire lives accessing the wealth of who Jesus Christ really is, what he means to us. Um, but I trust it's a challenge to you like it has been to me. People all over the world, one out of every four people on earth support a religious system that says, no, Jesus cannot be that. So we have a job to do. And uh, a glorious message uh, to share with the world. So we'll finish with that here this morning, close in prayer, and, and, uh, and be finished. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for your son. Lord, we look at Jesus Christ and wow, uh, what he did on the cross for us. Lord, we have to be so thankful. We praise you. We really thank you for him. Lord, help us to live in light of that. I know I can be prone to wander away and forget that I'm living by the life of Jesus Christ. Without him, we'd be truly without hope like so many on this world and in this world are, are today. Help us to be truly grateful for you, Lord. Pray you bless the rest of this day and the next service, and uh, thanks for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray.